learned a lot from this man because he was one of these people that <clears throat> not only was he an encourager, but he was a disciplinarian, and he was equal. He was fair. And as I was thinking about this text, I thought about a situation one time where I was working, and, and, and our supervisor, this man, he would come and eat lunch with us. We worked 12-hour shifts, and he'd come and eat lunch with us in, in the canteen of the control room because we had this complete unit that we were in control for, several floors, and he would eat with us, um, you know, every, every day. And he'd come up for the morning meeting. We worked 7 to 7, and uh, one day we were meeting that uh, 7 to 7, and he goes around asking each individual maintenance, you know, production, you have any issues, what we're going to do, get the plan for the day. And he had told me, he said, Chad and this other fellow, he said, what I need y'all to do is go down to line number four, and y'all need to take care of this, this, and this, where y'all worked on it. It needs to be straightened up. Yes, sir. Well, things happen between four and 12 o'clock, or seven and 12 o'clock, if you will, and we were not able to go up there or down there and do the task which we were told to do. Well, around lunchtime, when he comes up to... Uh, eat lunch with us. He walked up to me and said, I don't know what to think about two gentlemen. You asked them to do something and they didn't do what you told them to do. I said, well, I don't know what to think about somebody who has no clue what we've been doing all day. And he stopped. Had that grin. He shook his head. Come here. Here we go. He took me back there in that back room and he lit me up without raising his voice. When I walked out of that door, I was about that tall. And he said in his parting words, he says, well, I want you to understand something real clearly, Mr. Howard. He said, I could take you and run you out that door in about two minutes. Do you understand that? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, come on, let's get us about to eat. <laughs> and I walked out. And as we sat at lunch, he told me how much he believed in me. You see, sometimes we need those coaches in our life. We need people to rebuke us when we're wrong, and we don't like that. But we need the people to encourage us too, regardless of any situation. And what you're going to find here in this text is that exact thing. Please stand with me as we read this text. But, beloved... We are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and is still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish but imitators of those who through the faith and patience inherit the promises. You may be seated. But beloved, if we look at the first eight verses as we did last week, he gives us the warning about those who are falling away. And we spoke about this. That so many people use those verses as where you can lose your salvation. I do not believe that. I shared that with you. But I believe you can lose your opportunity for salvation. Which means this, that if you are born again believer in Jesus Christ, you are His. If you say you are and live in complete rebellion against Him, you are not. Christ changes people. 
And those that we discussed last week are those who have been enlightened. Those who had appeared to be believers. They, they said they were, but in actuality they weren't. And we told you about how people in the churches are filled with those today. And they got us all fooled. Congratulations. But they know that when they go lay their head down at night, they're not saved. Because they have not surrendered to Christ. They may say they believe some doctrinal things, but their life will prove that they are what they are. And the Bible tells us that it is impossible for those that once been enlightened to be restored. In other words, if you walk away from Christ, what is there to return to? And why would you come back? You're not going to walk away. You are His. And those who are followers of Jesus Christ will remain His. But as we said in 1 John, for they went out from us because they were not of us. They were never one of us. They appeared to be one of us, but their lives showed that they were never one of us at all. They give all the outward demonstrations of a believer. But their hearts were crooked. You know, it's amazing what we can identify with now. Regardless of what I think about myself, or regardless of what I think I want to be, there's one thing for certain that I know, as John Newton would say in my life. There's two things I, there's two things I know without a shadow of a doubt. That I'm a horrible sinner, and Christ is a wonderful Savior. No matter what I think about myself, that's two things I do know. That I'm a horrible sinner, but Christ is a wonderful Savior. And we think about those who identify themselves with the Lord, but their lives do not reflect it. And how I shared last week, if you live like hell and have no conviction of it, you will make it there. I will not sugarcoat that. We have enough of that going on in the churches today. We don't need additional help. Sin has consequences. And the unrighteous will suffer those consequences of eternity separated from God. So they went out from us because they were not of us. And he used the illustration about Productive farms and unproductive. A born again believer will produce fruit. And then we talked about that. But all of a sudden, he changes his wording. Not changes the message, but he becomes an encourager. Look what he says. But, beloved. Beloved is the only time that word is used in Greek in the book of Hebrews. The only time that word beloved is used in the New Testament, it indicates believers. But you. But beloved. We are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation. Though we are speaking in this way, yes, I am speaking in harsh rebuke because there are mixed people among you. But I believe, just like I believe in everybody, that there's a remnant who was sold out for Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you. He says, we are convinced of better things concerning you. We know that there's a group among you that will serve Jesus Christ with all aspects of their being, that love Him, 
They love their neighbors. Look what it says. And the things that accompany salvation. Did you see that? I love that word accompany. You cannot work to be saved. But if you are saved, you will produce works. Do you see it? Accompany salvation. These are fruits. These are the evidences or the evidence of your being born again. A tree that produces no fruit is a dead tree. Fruit trees that produce fruit are fruit trees. You see the difference. It may identify itself as an orange tree. But if there's not any oranges, then it's worthless. It's a yard ornament that serves no purpose but gives people the false illusion that it is something that it's not. Accompany salvation. You, listen to me. You know who you are. You love the Lord. And you don't work for your own glory, but you work for the glory of God. And I believe in you. You know, it's amazing that I'm going to tell you about a leader, and I hope everybody hears this. I was once asked what I believe leaderships look like, leadership skills look like. Now, in the secular world, a leader is not a person who wants you to believe in me. But a good leader gets people to believe in themselves. A pastor, I don't want you to believe in me. I want you to believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ who will transform you. Believe in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. These things accompany salvation. You see, I told you as we go through words and we, and we study the text and we try to apply the principles of hermeneutics, the interpretation of Scripture, then we look at things. But, beloved, but, okay, let's change your tone a little bit. I want to encourage you. Beloved, brothers and sisters, we are convinced, the writer, we're convinced that you and the things that accomplish, accompany salvation, we believe in you. And the evidence of your life is shown. Have we made that clear? He believed that there was a group among them that were sincere in their work. And look what he says. Though we are speaking this way. Yes, it's my job to encourage you and rebuke you and to lift you up. You see, the amazing thing about the Bible is this. A lot of times we pick and choose what we want to agree with what we like. We like all the good things. But yet when it comes to being held accountable sometimes, we don't like those things. And he, he, he rebuked them, or those that were among them in the first part of this chapter. But now he's speaking to believers. He was addressing the church, but speaking to two different groups of people. Now he's talking to the believers. And he says this, for, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name. I want you to encourage you with this too. There's a lot of times when the accolades won't come. 
But you know in your heart that as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ that you don't serve to get the applause of man, but you serve the audience of one that he may receive the glory, and you receive the benefit of his glory. You see, understand that. So many people like to be patted on the back. So many people, we all love encouragement. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. We want to all be encouraged when we do a good job. We want to all be thanked for putting in our service. But I'm going to tell you something about ministry and about being a Christian. Because here's the thing. If you're a born-again believer, you're in the ministry. Do you understand? It's not about our glory, but it's about God's glory. And I know sometimes when you have, have served Christ, and it, there's times, and this is one thing I want to please reiterate this fact, you've got to understand in context of this, this book that they are being persecuted. Not only are they being persecuted, they're being told by former Jews, or, or Judaizers, I'm sorry, these are former Jews who have been saved. They have the Judaizers in there go, Come back to what, come on. No, you don't need to be doing this. Ain't no Christ. How can you have a high priest that died on a cross, man? How can you have a savior that's a dead man? And you say he rose from the dead? Come on, man. And you got this in your ear. And I guarantee you, as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you've had people in your ear telling you things that are contrary to Scripture. But I am here to tell you that God has not forgotten your life. Sometimes we think heaven is silent and we don't hear those words. We don't hear those things. We seem like we're all alone. But let me assure you of this, that if God who knows every sparrow that falls from this earth, I can promise you he knows you. He knows every aspect of your being. He knows your name. Because if God forgot you, then it is contradictory to his character. It is against his character. Because God can't forget. He said, for God is not unjust to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and is still ministering to saints. Do you see what he's saying there? Not only is this group of people in the midst of persecution, in the midst of people in their ears, yah-yahing, but they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Not for their glory, but they're ministering to other people that are in the church and they minister to the saints. They are giving. They are supporting. They are encouraging, which is the life of a believer. And God does not let that go unnoticed. I can promise you, listen to me. I told somebody one time, and I think I've used this illustration here. That serving Jesus Christ, listen to me, I'm just going to bring it down on a level for you. That not every one of us are called to be preachers and teachers. They're not all every one of us called to be singers. They're not all of us called to be, go to certain missionary places. Every one of us are created in the image of Almighty God. Every one of us that placed our faith and trust in Him, that have been saved by Him, have a purpose too. And that's to serve Him. Now all of our gifts are different. Okay? Some of us must, might have the same, but they're not all the same. But the very purpose of our life is to glorify God and to serve Him. And regardless of what you do, as long as you do it for His glory and do it for Him, it doesn't matter. There's no hierarchy. I, I was giving this illustration to somebody. You know, it's just like the person that cuts the grass or the person that cleans the toilets. They don't notice when it's done, 
but they'll let you know when it's not. There's no glory in it. There's no glory in some things that we do. It's funny, when I got ordained as a pastor many years ago, somebody said the statement to me, I'll never forget when he come to the line, brother, work for the ministry, the pay ain't much, but the bonus is out of this world. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that. Because it's not for what we can get, but whom we can give. And let me tell you something, whether you're a ditch digger, whether you're the greatest teacher that's ever walked the face of earth, you do it for God's glory and His glory alone, I promise you, He has not forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten you. You're here for a purpose. He says, I have not, it's unjust to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name. And, in minister, and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. Look what he says. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Stay on course, people. If Satan can get you distracted, and you trust me with this, he will. And when you get distracted and you get your eyes a little bit off the path, and he's accomplished his goal. Now, I understand this. You see, the, the purpose of an encourager, this writer, this pastor, is to be that person in your ear that when you get off path, you go, get back on the path! Get up! And a lot of times we don't like to hear that. But I praise God for the people that's been in my life. It says, Chad, get up and keep pressing on. Because in my own power, I'll quit. But in the power of Christ, we press on. And we desire, I desire that each one of you show the same diligence. Because the hope that you possess, I promise you will sustain you. Christ is enough. You know, I often think that we take the word perseverance and manipulate it a little bit. You know, I've studied Scripture and I've looked at the life of Job. I know we all have. And so many people tell me about the patience of Job. You know, people always talk about the patience of Job have never read past chapter 2. Job's patience run out. But I will tell you this. Job learned through all of that that he was the problem. And he gets back on the path. You see, something happened to Job during this called pride. And he eked into his life. And it's easy to eke into ours. And the very point that I am trying to make with this is this. Each one of us are capable of getting off that path at any given time. And we need to learn from others that have gotten off the path that the Holy Spirit is there. And He gets us back on that path to trust in Him. I want you to understand that this world is where you are as a born again believer. You're here, but it's not your home. Our home is in eternity. For born-again believers, this is where we are for temporarily until we take our last breath. 
And though heaven is a reward, God promised he would sustain us through his son Jesus Christ while we're here on this earth. You will have trouble. And it's so easy for us to get off the path and, and, and say, well, I can persevere so far. But perseverance is holding on to the end. And I can promise you that something that I have learned, listen to me, and I have not arrived. I'm trying. But to hold firm to the course that God's put you on. That you mature and you grow in your faith that regardless what come, Lord, I'm yours and I'll stay faithful. I shared with you the story many times about the wonderful lady that I had the privilege of teaching for several years who had lost her son in a car wreck right after that, or sorry, lost her husband in a heart attack right after that lost her son in a car wreck. And I learned a lot from this lady. And as we went to the hospital, the last final days of her life, as jaundice had come over and she was yellow and her little hat on to keep her warm, she would raise that finger and say, God is good. God is good. Because she had come under the understanding that her labor here on earth was not in vain and that everything she was was because of Jesus Christ. And as her race had come to an end, she knew that her comfort was found in Christ and the next breath she took this side of heaven, she would take her first breath in the presence of Jesus. And it's taught me so much because I want you to be encouraged that you do not serve an audience of people that will give you accolades. I promise you, you will let people down. I let people down. It's funny, I was telling somebody in HR, or not, well, I'm very careful of that, but anyway, I was telling somebody about some things, you know, about my opinion. And they said, you know, Chad, that's not going to be a popular opinion. I said, I'm in the ministry. (laughs) Most people don't agree with me. (laughs) But what I will tell you is this. I serve an audience of one. That's who I live for. I do this because God called me to and because I love him. And I love you so much that I want you to spend eternity with Christ. And I want you to be productive while you're here on this earth. And I want to encourage you that when you get down, that I'll be glad to give you a gentle nudge and tell you to get back up. And I need it too. Because every single one of us are going to face trials and tribulations. Some may seem worse than others. Anybody that says as a Christian you won't go through a trial, it's stupidity, stupidity multiplied by billions. You're going to have trials and tribulations. But stay the course. For he is worthy. Look what it says. And I want you to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. I want to read with you a a passage that I love so dearly that has really spoken to me over the years. And y'all know this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ 
who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will never fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found and to result in the praise and glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you'll love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice, rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Those verses have kept me going in many a day. And I want to encourage you that though you may be around people who claim to be believers, may, you may be around the world that don't have anything to do with believers. I don't know wherever one of us are, but I promise if you serve an audience of one, my Father will sustain you. And you be encouraged in that. He says, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That you will not be sluggish. Don't get lazy. Don't let the troubles of the world slow you down. You keep pressing forward. Keep pressing forward toward maturity as you imitate those that have gone before. Let me tell you something. You want to read about people who's gone through something? You pick up the Word of God and read it. We were sharing this morning in our doctrine class as we're going through the doctrine of sin. I encourage you to be here if you're not coming because we all need to hear it. But I want you to listen to me. Like David said, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have despaired I would have despaired. You see that? If I had not believed that I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Here's the thing. His faith that he would see God's goodness while he's here on this earth. Let me tell you something. You can see the greatness of God. And I promise you, when you go through a trial or tribulation, you look back and see where God was and he toted you. He is worthy to be praised. And I believe that I'll see God's goodness in all circumstances. I may not understand it. I may not understand every situation that I've been put in. Nor may you. But be encouraged that he who knows the sparrows that fall know you. I cannot help but go back to the Sermon on the Mount and... It, is when he tells us not to worry about what we should eat or how we should clothe ourselves. And he is saying these things in the most beautiful illustration and it's personal to me 
Then he says, you consider the lilies of the field that they do not toll and spin. Yet even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed as one of those. Do a little research on Solomon, the richest king of Israel, David's son. The wisest king of Israel. And yet he can't even compete with God's creation of a flower. God knows you. And you be encouraged. And don't be sluggish, but press on. Imitators of those through faith and patience inherit the promise. Abraham didn't know where he's going, but he went. Do you realize that Matthew was a tax collector? And if you look at any kind of history, tax collectors were men who were Jewish citizens who were employed by Rome to take up taxes for their own people. They were the lowest of the scum. I can't imagine to be Matthew and how much he was hated. But one day Jesus came by. Come on. You're going to follow me. And Matthew was changed. He was no longer hated for his taxes. But he was hated for the gospel. And I want you to think, you think something. Christ is worth it. You may be through trials and tribulations. You may be rebuked. You may be made fun of. It may cost you your life. As one person said in Matthew 28, God commanded us to go. He never promised us we'd come back. But you be faithful. They realize that he is worthy in all aspects of your life. And you be encouraged. Not be encouraged, not only be encouraged, first and foremost, that you serve a worthy God who will sustain you, but you be encouraged that there's other brothers and sisters that are just like you that will get you up on your feet and help you press on toward the goal. Be diligent. Persevere. And I'll close with this illustration. The first battle between the Navy and Japan, there's a seaman named by the name of Staples, who during the battle, one of the gun turrets were hit and it exploded. And it blew him over the railing of the ship. And the only thing he had was a life belt on him that he pulled the trigger on to inflate it. And he was floating. Six hours later, with these busted up legs, he was picked up by another cruiser coming by. And brought him on board. When they found out where he went to, they took him back to the ship that exploded. Took him back to his crew because the captain was going to try to run the ship aground to save the ship. But six hours later, after being placed back on the ship that he was blown off the rails, the ship went down and he found himself in the sea again. But he was rescued by a destroyer. And we have sent for recovery. He picked up that life belt. And he looked on it and it said, Firestone Company, Akron, Ohio, and had a, had a serial number on it. You see, his mama worked for Firestone. 
And as he is in recovery, he said, Mama, what does this number mean? She said, well, each inspector is given a number that they will know for accountability and for quality that that belt's right for usage. His mama inspected that belt. And due to her diligence and perseverance to do the job right, that same belt was ordained by God to save that man's life. You press on for the glory of God. And you may not know this side of heaven what that will produce, but if you are diligent, God will hold faithful to His promises. And I don't know this side of heaven who I'll see and who I won't. But I know that I have to leave everything that I do in the hands of Jesus and let Him take care of the results. And it's the same with you. Press on. Press on. For the Lamb that was slain is worthy. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for this day. I thank You for all that You've done. Lord, I thank You today that not only after I close this prayer, we celebrate the work in two men who have placed their faith and trust in You. Two young men who we see the future of You transforming their lives for Your glory. God, we stand here today and we ask for Your help and Your wisdom and guidance that we would persevere that we would hold unswervingly to our faith because He that promised you, you are the one that promised are faithful. And Lord, we love you so much for all you have done. Lord, I pray that you work among us, that hearts would be transformed, that lives would be changed. And that Lord, whatever we have done, whatever we do would be for your glory. And we'll give you the praise and glory for it. And all God's people said... Well, this morning I am pleased and honored, as I will call Justin up too, is today we're going to practice believer's baptism. Ashton, where are you at? Come on up, brother. Tiffany, want to make sure I zip this up, not drop it in the pool. That'd be a bad situation. Go ahead and get in there, Ashton. This is our brother, Ashton. Ashton, talk. Yeah, Gwen, just sit down. Just want to turn this way toward me. Okay. There we go. Right there, right there. Just hold it. Sit up right there. Okay, just for a minute. I want to talk about you. I'm going to tell you something about this young man. Now, he can ask some biblical questions. You hear me? I praise God for that. Brothers and sisters, this is our future. And he and his father come up and said they had something to share. And he wanted to share that he had placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. There is no greater trust in the put. Do you hear me, buddy? No greater trust. Ashton, had you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Yes, sir. On your profession of faith, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of Christ, arisen to a new walk in Him. Amen. <laughs> Here it goes. <laughs> I'm so proud of this young man. I tell you, I, again, he, I get a lot of, Seth and others will tell me, man, he asked a good one. He's got me looking up stuff. So, brother, you keep pressing on studying the Word of God. I'm so proud of you.
Am I unmuted? Connor, this is a time I'll tell you you can get in the water, buddy. I've known this young man since he was a little bobblehead. I've taught him upstairs. I've seen him inside and outside this church. And when you think Connor's not paying attention and fidgeting with something, he's the one that looks up and hits you with just the left field questions and answers. So Connor, have a seat, son. Connor, have you repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, sir. Connor, based on your profession of faith, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of Christ and risen new life of Him. Let's give him a round of applause. Where's your towel? It is very warm. And this morning we're going to partake in communion together. And how awesome we have two more young men joining us this morning. You know, communion being ordinances of the church and prerequisite of the Lord's Supper being believer's baptism. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In God's word it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself And in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. You see, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Nailed to the cross, paid that price for our sins. His body was broken. Every lashing, every nail, every spear. The blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. But his body became the sacrifice the only one that would be acceptable to God. So when we take the cup, we're remembering the blood he shed. We reflect on the sacrifice made for us and are being reminded of the covenant between us and God. To remember what Jesus did for us and why it's necessary for him to die for us. First Peter, 
in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, For that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. So see, each time we take the cup and the bread, we are, we are to remember whose we are and the price that was paid to redeem us back from our sin. The Lord's Supper reminds us not only that Jesus died for us, that he will also return triumphantly in glory. You know, he came as a lamb, he returned as a lion. When we partake in the Lord's Supper, there are a few things that we need to consider. When we take the cup and the bread, remember all the things that Jesus has done for us and allow his spirit to show us the things in our life which are inconsistent with our professions of faith, faith or inconsistent with his nature. That's why God had judged some of the believers in Corinth. They were taking the cup and eating the bread in an unworthy manner. They were not judging themselves, therefore God was judging them. You know, verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself, and this way should eat the bread and drink the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. This is time for reconciliation, to repent of our attitudes or things we're holding to sins in our hearts that's displeasing to God. And that was the problem with some of the believers in Corinth. Instead of coming to take the bread and the cup, allowing God to use that time to remind them of the high price that was paid for their souls because of you know, their envy, their sin, their strife, their divisions amongst them in the church, what they were doing was going through the motions without giving the place to the true significance of the ordinance at hand and remembering why they were doing what they were doing. In verse 29, for he who eats and drinks in judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly, for this reason many among you are sick and a number sleep, God had pronounced judgment on them. And it's passages like this that remind me and should remind us how seriously we are to take God's word and how serious we should be about our hearts being right with him above all else. This is a time when we examine and rec- you know, rectify our communion with God and with one another. Paul's not saying here, you must be worthy to partake in the Lord's Supper. Our righteousness is but filthy rags, as we've heard time and again. Rather, Paul is saying we should take it in a worthy manner by examining our hearts. Again, verse 28. But a man must examine himself. Be honest with ourselves, honest with God. If there's anything going on in your life, something that maybe uh, against a brother or sister or somebody in the body of Christ, a sin you're holding on to, use this time in prayer in a few minutes to make things right. Bring it before the Lord. Don't partake in communion, withholding these feelings or, 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 or this, this, this attitude in your heart. His word clearly warns of such things. But communion, this is, this is a celebration of Christ's victory over sin. It's his victory over death. And again, we are told to examine ourselves, examine our hearts. And this can be a hard thing to do sometimes. 
You know, I think uh, we can all think of a time when we try to justify a sin or feeling towards others. But if there's anything, again, and I'll say it again, if there's anything in your life out of order, take it to God now. In humility and humble obedience, take this time to ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. And I'm going to invite the deacons to come down in a few minutes, but before we do that, we're all going to go into a time of personal prayer time at your seats. And then again, I'll, I'll ask the deacons to come forward, and, and when you're ready, you'll come and, and, and take your elements. So please, where you're seated, let's pray. While we continue praying in our seats, I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward. We'll give it a few more minutes, but when you're ready, please come forward and grab your elements from one of the deacons and return to your seat as we'll partake of communion together. This morning, we celebrate together in corporate worship and communion through believers' baptism. But as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, there is absolutely nothing in this world that can separate us from him. God's word says, For I have received from the Lord what I have also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took the bread, and when he had given thanks, broken, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for the body. We thank you for the sacrifice for, God, every lashing, every nail, every piercing. Jesus Christ taking on the full wrath, crushed for our sin. We love you and we praise you. And let us never forget. Amen. Again, he who had given thanks broken and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Pray again with me. Lord, thank you for the blood you shed on the cross. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, paid the price without mercy so that mercy would be extended to us. God, thank you for that grace. Thank you for that merited favor. Thank you for your son. Amen. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In continuing the scriptures, I'm going to invite the band back to the stage to close us in song this morning because it said they sang that night in a joyful noise. So as the band comes forward to close us in worship, let us pray. Father, so many things to, countless things to thank you for this morning, every day. Father, we thank you for the two young men, your spirit convicting their hearts and, and receiving your son and placing their faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior of their lives. And I'm reminded of scripture, the words you authored, the ones that Paul wrote, let he who started good work in you See it to completion. Father, I don't know where everybody stands right now. But I pray if there's a single person here that do, does not have a relationship with your son, 
that your spirit convicts them before it's eternally too late. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And this morning, through these ordinances, we proclaim that. Through these baptisms, we profess that. Through this communion, we remember that. And we look forward to his return. Father, we thank you for the brothers and sisters I was spoken a few moments ago that encourage us along the way, lift each other up, but most importantly, point us back towards you for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Stand and worship with us. Oh, holy night. Stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's.